A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 261 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and even Spotify, as well as right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman, and with me like a cloud to his storm, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. I do feel like a cloud. Like one of those <laughs> little clouds that follows you around and just rains. Oh, no, that's depressing. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not, the, not the cloud from Trolls with the socks. <laughs> I never saw Trolls. Oh, oh, you're missing out. <laughs> I think we we own it, but I've never actually seen it. <laughs> well, maybe you're not missing out so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim, Jim, we're going back to the uh, High Republic. You know, it it feels like we're going back in time, but maybe not as far back as we should go. It's uh, a long, long ish time ago right things have changed things have developed good stuff is happening Well, here at Stars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we ponder Kevin Scott's Star Wars The High Republic Tempest Runner. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. The Nile storm has raged across the galaxy, leaving chaos and grief in its wake. Few of its raiders are as vicious as the Tempest Runner, Lorna D. She stays one step ahead of the Jedi Order at the helm of a vessel named after one of the deadliest monsters in the galaxy, the Lorna D. But no one can outrun the defenders of the High Republic forever. After the defeat of her crew, Lorna falls into the hands of the Jedi but not before she hides her identity, becoming just another Nile convict. Her captors fail to understand the beast they have cornered. Just like every fool she's ever buried, their first mistake was keeping her alive. Lorna is determined to make underestimating her their last. Locked onto a Republic correctional ship, she's dragged across the galaxy to repair the very damage she and her fellow Tempest Runners inflicted on it. But as Lorna plans her glorious escape, she makes alliances that grow dangerously close to friendships. Outside the Nile, separated from her infamous ship, her terrifying arsenal, and her fearsome name, Lorna must carve her own path. But will it lead to redemption, or will she emerge as a deadlier threat than ever before? 
Hmm. Sounds good, Jim. Sounds good. It does sound good. It does. Uh, so to give a little bit of background on where this takes place and everything to start off. Tempest Runner, the, uh, even before I do that, it's been funny. You know, you complained about this before and how Star Wars with their stories sometimes does a vague like, oh, yeah, that takes some place between these two movies. But we have no um, indication of exactly when. Right. With the High Republic, they have been very clear cut on exactly when these stories take place. Besides the whole starting, which we assume is 200 years before the movies, which is what they said. But it was like 200 years ish. And so we right. have the Light of the Jedi, which is the first book. We'll assume that is 200 years before Phantom Menace. And then the next novel, um, oh, name is uh, The Rising Storm. It, it's kind of funny. It's like a lot of people are putting it at one month or one year out from Light of the Jedi, but it's actually in the book list as almost a year. So it's like just shy of a year. And so we'll assume that after the Rising Storm, it's been a year. And then the Tempest Runner takes place three months after the Rising Storm. And everything is very clear-cut, very well laid out. And as of now, which is the beginning of December, uh, the Tempest Runner is one of the furthest along in the timeline that we have seen of the High Republic before the third wave uh, gets put out. I think Tempest, Ru Tempest Runner is actually the last release of the second wave minus the, co and the isn't comics. it mentioned that the events at the fair took place about a year ago or or am i mistaken on that you're mistaken it was, th it was the events of the affair take place three months before okay three months okay yeah they they repeatedly mention the fair which is the easy uh go-to timeline indicator there mm-hmm it's it's kind of it, it reminded me even though it's in phase one the fair and the story when everything that happened at the fair felt very much like star by star and what happened on coruscant in the new jedi order it was like here's your pivotal moment you know but we're still phase one like we still have two more phases to go like i i kind of want to know where we're gonna go yeah we still have one more wave of this phase right like this is like how planned out is this i'm i'm, I'm getting kind of excited again uh, from what I've heard, it is very well planned out. I mean, I, I, I'm getting the feeling that my theory that uh, Marky on Rowe is a, a secret Sith is, is never going to happen. But that's okay. Uh, you know, they, they'll do something. I mean, we do have in the comics there was a Sith Lord showing up, but I, I still haven't read that one. So I'm like, hmm. he, he didn't. Um, it wasn't. It was, uh, I feel like a bait and switch. Um, it was a force, <sighs> force vision. He wasn't actually, oh. it, it, yeah, yeah, no, no, no Sith has actually shown up in, in real, mm. in real space. Um, well, it gives me more excitement for this book because, you know, the one thing I feel like we're really missing is understanding of the villains. You know, I mean, from the beginning, they've been poised as this great big threat. And I, I just feel like for the most part, the Nile are just a pirate gang. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, they're a little more cutthroat than others, but there's nothing really defines them as completely crazy. You know, you don't have that that fanaticalness that the Vong had or, you know, the, the loyalty of, of, you know, the empires or the imperial inner circle. Um, you know, 
this book kind of finally gives us that, you know what I mean? I wouldn't say Lorna D is on par with a Namanor type character, but this book definitely makes her more like Tzvong Law, you know, like she's a power player and we're kind of getting to know her more and getting into her head. You get the feeling this character is definitely going to be around for a lot longer. And I think, you know, we need that. Um, I know that the comics are going to be doing that with Roe, but I, I just, I kind of get the feeling when it comes to this series, when they do stuff with the comics, things go really fast. Like there's a lot of details that just kind of get skimmed over and whereas D is, you know, kind of more like a lieutenant, Marquion Rowe is like the big leader of the Nile. Although in this story, you know, it's all focused on Lorna D. The New Republic, they think she's in charge. So, you know, as far as they're aware, she's the boss. It makes sense to focus on her for this. Uh, with Marquion Rowe being in the comic, I really kind of think that they should do more with him in the books, really flesh his character out. Because right now, he's just kind of in the background. We get a lot of really cool details about how he also comes to power but his isn't at all a, a main focus in the story it is definitely centered around d throughout the whole thing yeah the um of the bad guys in the whole high republic they kind of break up who is their focus because you have Markion who has appeared in most of the materials released but even when he's there he's barely there you're right um, and of the three Tempest Runners, who at any time they supposedly have three, which I'm sure that's going to change shortly because it keeps changing. Um, that, the three Tempest Runners that were mentioned in The Light of the Jedi, the first book, that book focused mostly on Kassov, who we saw, spoiler, die at the end of that book. A new Tempest Runner came in. I don't even remember who it was because it's not important, apparently. Um, one of the other two from the first book, Pan, took a major uh, a major role in the rising storm and at the end of that one he quote unquote dies uh, sorry spoiler um, and then we come to this uh, audiobook which focuses on Lorna and we barely got any about Lorna before this and so we got actually a lot more about Lorna than we did any of the other Nihil up to this point. Right, and you could even question why they would choose Lorna to, to move forward unless, you know, this was, was the plan. I think from what we got from her in the original stuff, like, they always put her out there as being more intelligent. Her storm was more cutthroat. They were all kind of really, you know, all about her. Like, like she definitely made them inspired. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of always had this feeling like they were going to do more with her. And so once this book was announced, I was like, oh, okay, here, here we go. Uh, and where it was set up, the positioning for this story was great because out of the shadows, it definitely lines up where the Jedi, they're on D's trail in a sense. You know, I mean, they have no idea that Marky and Roe is out there at all. Like they just think that she is the eye of the Nile. So, I mean, it, we came into this in a great spot where we were able to explore that. And I feel like, you know, Kevin did a good job. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they chose an audiobook. So this is the first audiobook for the High Republic. It's the only third audio or audio drama, sorry, audio drama for any of the canon releases. We have Dooku Jedi Lost, also written by Kevin Scott, and the Doctor Afra um, one. And this is just the, the third one released. But uh, Kevin um, clearly has done an audiobook before, uh, and I think he 
did this one a lot better than he did the first one. I liked the first one. It was a good attempt at an audiobook, but it was not um, as in-depth as this one. We had a lot more characters in this one than we did in uh, Juku Jedi Lost It All. Right. I, In fact, I think the, one of the things I really enjoyed the most was the way each actor was able to bring certain characters to life. Like uh, the Twi'leks. Like, oh my God, I love the voices used for Lorna and Tesha. Like, they were great. And there was, uh, uh, oh, which one was it? Uh, Ola. Oh, was it Ola or Olga? Oh, Ola Hest. Oh my God, yeah. dude, did she not sound like Blanche from the Golden Girls? I was just like... <laughs> dying i kept imagining blanche walking through the set going off on people in a prison (laughs) it definitely i i loved a lot of the characters i did a lot of the the female characters had a tendency to blend in together for me um Mm -hmm. mostly probably because uh my hearing issues uh makes it so i can't distinguish between voices very well and the problem with an audiobook so uh, set up what an audio or an audio drama set up what an audio drama is. It's basically a book or it's a, it's a, like a TV show and a book kind of merged together. So you have the characters, there's no narrator usually, and you have the characters describing everything that's happening. Like you get these weird phrases where I'm walking into the room now very slowly and, and things like that that pop up. And it's like clearly like you would never say this in real life, but you have to kind of give it a grain of salt for the, uh, the, the audio system. But with an audio drama, you have different actors playing different characters. So you don't need to constantly refer to them by name as opposed to in a book you can't tell different voices apart because they're all written down. And so you have to specifically call out who's saying what. Right. And so like you have the one problem where you have these weird um, announcements of what's going on, but you also have like another problem for like me where unless the voice actors are very distinct, I sometimes get them blended together unless they call them out by name. Right. Yeah. The, uh, was it Shannon Tayo played Quinn and, and there were times where I could tell she was playing Quinn, but there were other times that I would get her confused with Kathleen McKerney for counselor Fry and other characters. I'm like, uh, okay, who, who we got here. And, and you're right. The Twi'leks yeah, Quinn, Quinn is the one I had the, the trouble with a lot. Right. And the, and the Twi'leks definitely had kind of like a, a almost like a French accent added to the way that they're, but I just, I, I love the, inflection of their voice oh yes i bet you do are we calling you lorna like <laughs> i really love the way they would enunciate things it was really cool well that's a the the french accent is from the clone wars uh when right, they introduced right. that uh, i guess twi'leks i would assume people from ryloth have the french accent but lorna's not from ryloth so i guess it's just right uh, um a stereotype maybe <laughs> <laughs> probably so uh so so what jim means by that she's not from there is we get points in the story where we do flashbacks we go flashback to when she was just a twilight kid where her history was we learned that in a sense she was kind of like royalty um you know they were on a colony world her dad was the keeper of the planet um and a- did not was it 
It's a- yes, a lot, and they didn't want to. Dad was big against using uh, glitter real spikes. Anything of that nature that would kind of put them in line with the underside of the galaxy, you know, uh, put them in the crosshairs of mobs and things of that nature. He wanted to do things more on the agricultural side, on the up and up with the blurgs and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there was that conflict going on there and you kind of see where it ends up pushing Lorna D's character and the betrayals of family and stuff. So I, I found that her progression throughout the story was a really cool spot because it it kept humanizing her to the point where I was like, you know, how bad is she? Uh, You know, she's definitely pushed into the position she's at because of, you know, where she ended up after certain choices that she made as a child. Um, You know, I mean, because she ends up also in uh, Cardia, um, the Imperial uh, training planet that they end up having, which is cool to see that it was still functioning even way back then which isn't that way back. It was only 200 years, but still. <laughs> well, it's also... But we see that like, be, what, three or four different things th- for her. That may be one of the first references we have to that in canon. No, oh, that... True, true. Because that's the the facility that... Um, uh, not Kyle Katarn. Han Solo? No, who... Isn't that where Han Solo ended up? No, well, maybe, but who blew it up? Um, this with the Sun Crusher. Why can't I remember? Oh, Kip, Kip Duran. Yeah, Kip Duran. I get, Kip, I get Kip. him and Kyle mixed up uh, with the K's. But yeah, Kip. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That I think that was first introduced when uh, Kip blew it up with the Sun Crusher. Yep, yep. Destroyed his brother in the process. Yeah, and he was a good guy. You know, I mean, he wiped out a whole system and and was still considered a good Jedi. I mean, so I'm on the fence with Lorna D, man. Like, I, I they humanized her in this book in a way that definitely appealed to me. I'm like, I, I want to see something like that with Mark. You know, I want to get inside his head next because I, I really felt like Kevin Scott did a great job of bringing understanding to Lorna's character. She definitely becomes more sympathetic. But she keeps making choices throughout the book, which kind of pulls her back from you going, I can support her. And you go and it kind of goes, yeah, no, <laughs> like I, I, I she's one of those like uh, like teetering on the edge where you kind of want to like root for the bad guy. But then other times it's like, yeah, no, I, I I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I can't do that. right so there was this character bala yes her 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 boyfriend bala is uh uh, the character that comes in early on in the flashback scene when she's still on aloth and he plays up her kind of like her street smarts right he's like yeah you know you you've you see that there's money to be made in, in spice. And, and look, you found spice on the planet. And your dad's kind of standing in the way of progress and talks her into being part of a revolution. Um, it goes horribly. I, I, I mean, it was just insane. Like the way that that ends up playing out and how that kind of forces her into a position where now she's all alone and very desperate. Like, like the progression of her going from that into the Nile worked for me 
Um, I, I could understand why the character did what she did and how it pushed her where she was. And I loved how it all plays up towards the very end and the symbolism of her name and who her identity is. Um, and, and that's, I think, the heart of this whole story is who the identity of Lorna D is, not just to the galaxy, but to her herself. And by the time you're done with the story, you definitely have an understanding of the character. Yeah, it gives you a good understanding of why she would also name the ship after herself, which mm-hmm. that in and of itself just screams narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I would say overall, I, I enjoyed this book. Um, you know, there's a lot more details we can get into. I just don't want to get into too of, much of them here in the spoiler free part. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're uh, interested in this era, this is definitely one of those books you definitely want to get a hold of. Uh, major events? No. Kind of, you know, it, it picks up at the end of a couple of major events and it kind of sets things in motion for where we're going to go from here. I, I feel like we're poised to uh, see some really cool power struggle in the Nile, especially after where things get set up here. Um, and then, you know, there's the whole Republic side of things, you know, with with them being on the wrong trail, as it were. You know, will they get back onto the right trail? We don't know. Like, I, I, I like where that sets things up. So pretty exciting. So, Jim, anything else before we get into spoilers? Yeah, I'd say, well... I, I, I don't want to give my opinion of the book overall because uh, it's really based on the story itself, which we're going to hold off till the spoilers. And um, mostly it was a fun listen. I liked I liked what they did. It gave us the backstory of Lorna D, which is what we had not had before. And so it does provide character depth. Do I feel it was an important story? No, not whatsoever. None whatsoever. Um, you could skip this and move on and be uh, and not miss really anything in the story of the High Republic. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that a little more deeper. We've analyzed that attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate in a moment of triumph. I think you overestimate their chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Well, as we said, you know, we jump right into the story where we left off. We just had a couple months have passed since the fair. Everyone's looking for Lorna D. And we start out, it's not even actually Lorna's perspective. We uh, get one of her storms perspectives as he's at a bar and he's kind of like, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. And then he tells us the tale of what's happened to Lorna so far and where he's at. And he's at a point where he's trying to bust her out. She's been uh, captured. Things have gone south. And we're about to find out why. Yeah, I found it interesting. Um, I The audiobook came out at the end of August. And in the beginning of September, they had released the newest issue of the High Republic Adventures comic book, of which in the High Republic Adventures comic book, they mentioned that Lorna D is assumed to be dead. Mm -hmm. And you like sit back and go, wait, what? 
the only thing at that point when I had read that, the only thing I hadn't listened to yet or uh, gone through was the Tempest Runner. And I'm like, did they just spoil Tempest Runner for me? And <laughs> yes and no. Um, because the by the end of the first, the, the audiobook's broken up into, I don't know, were they sections or chapters? Something like that. Parts. Parts yeah. yeah. By the end of the first part, it is assumed Larnady is dead. And so, yes, the comic kind of spoiled it, but I guess not really, because that's how you start off, is that she is assumed to be uh, dead, and the real Lorna D is not actually dead. Spoiler. Um, she uh, she survived the attempt. Basically, she, uh, looked, it made, she made it look like she killed herself and snuck onto the prison ship. But... Um, it's interesting listening to that first part because you're right. You have um, this, I guess, bartender. Was he playing bartender at the time? Uh, no, he was just at the bar. He showed up and because uh, you know, he asked the bartender droid what was good. And that's when the other character comes okay, up. Okay, that's and, what I'm uh, talking uh, about, the, talking the other about. character. Um, he, he comes in and for the entire first part, we are left with this character that we don't know the name of. We don't know anything about, but I could tell you who it was after two syllables coming out of his mouth. And the reason for that <laughs> is because I listen to the audiobooks. That's what I do. And Mark Thompson is the one narrating the main novels, including um, Light of the Jedi and uh, The Rising Storm. I will forget the name of The Rising Storm repeatedly. For some reason, I cannot keep the name of that book in my mind. But he narrated The Rising Storm, and when he plays his characters like Marky on Row, he always used the same modulation. So you always know when it's Marky on Row. Well, he does the same thing for Payaneda. And Payaneda has a very distinct voice in this because of that special modulation that as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Pan. And that's what happened in the, in the by the end of the first part. He was introduced as Pan, but I knew who it was within two words. I'm like, oh, he's talking to Pan. Mm -hmm. mm. See, and I, I think by the second end of the flashback, going back to the present, I started to feel like it was Pan as well. I was like, okay, he's asking a lot of things. He knows things about the Nile. And he's saying it in ways that, you know, kind of clues off the listener and the reader to it, but not enough to set the uh, the other character he's talking to into it. Like, he, he never really figures it out until it's too late. It's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're dead. Yeah, and like I said, at the end of The Rising Storm, it was assumed Pan was dead. They killed him off, but they killed him off off screen. And since both The Rising Storm and uh, Tempest Runner, the audiobook here, were written by Kevin Scott, clearly he had planned on bringing Pan back um, for specifically for this book, I would assume. Yeah, Pan definitely feels like a character that you're going to be hearing a lot more of up until now. I yeah, mean, well, I'm like, I, I, uh, <laughs> how, how quickly are we going to jump to the end of this book? Because uh, uh, I, I disagree with you there. <laughs> Which, yeah, he's he's like one of those characters that you just can't seem to shake off. He's like dog poo on the bottom of your shoe. You think you get it all off, and there's a little more hanging on. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to jump to the end yet. Uh, <laughs> 
but <laughs> yeah, Pan is a question mark after the end of this book. Again, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, if you're paying attention, like Jim was, he definitely saw that part. I mean, I, I it wasn't like a major moment when he's like, "Oh, it's Pan." <laughs> they did, but... <laughs> they did it soon enough that it wasn't obnoxious. Like if they had held that out for the entire book, and then at the end they're like, "It's Pan." I'm like, that would have been stupid. But at least the end of the first part was. You're only looking like it's like maybe a fifth into it or something. It wasn't. It wasn't like obnoxiously long. <laughs> well, and, and what I liked about Pan's character is, is there's layers to his motivation. You know, I mean, he hates D for multiple reasons. You know, one she sets him up, or at least that's how how it's been portrayed. Like everyone's giving Lorna D credit for what Marky on Road did to Pan in the last couple books, where how he set him up. And so Pan thinks that she's the one that's done all this. So he's like going after her for that. Plus, you know, she gets credited for poisoning him. So he's like, he's like in the process of still dying. Like he's not quite dead, dead from before, but you get this sense that he's a man with a, with a finite amount of time. And his only goal is to take her out with him. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you're like, dude, this guy's really like, he's, he's a man on a mission and he is not about to lose. Nothing will take him down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once we see her at Cardia, one of the things I thought was kind of cool before we get to that point was she ends up getting found by some Jedi because um, she gets captured from Aloth. Aloth. When when everything goes down there with Bala, Bala sets her up where the family gets taken out. They all get killed. Um, she gets saved, but she ends up getting sold to slavery. And while that's going on, like there's these interesting parallels to her time as a slave and her time on the prison ship. And then eventually we see that the Jedi show up, they save her from her life of slavery and they're the ones that put her on Cardia. Um, and it's, it's master Rampus, uh, the big snake dude from uh, the original movies, the, uh, yeah. Prequels. Opo, Opo, yeah. Opo Rancis? Opo Rancis. It is Rancis, right? I think right? so. Well, it doesn't yeah. seem right. <laughs> I don't know. Rancis. That's it. Ah, uh, yeah. But it is Opo. Opo Rancis. Yes, he's one of the... That's what I, I love about Kevin Scott, is he loves to pull in obscure characters. And one of my favorite obscure characters is... Um, Ariel, uh, Yariel Poof, and he keeps popping up every <laughs> once in a while in the uh, in the High Republic. And Opo Rancisis is another one of the, the those two uh, Jedi in the background just occasionally pop up. <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's a whole little bit of, of story that's set on Cardia, uh, and eventually, even there, she ends up taken off. And I liked how even. The way she gets out of there, there's certain character and interactions that she have that will come back later and bite her in the butt. Uh, like, and it's like that with every single flashback. You know, Scott does not waste any of them. They're not there just to be, you know, a quick little moment of insight. It's insight plus it's tied to later events that we come back to. You know, there's it's, it's all that slow burn that just comes comes around at the end. We see her uh, donning a Mandalorian armor and kind of doing gladiator fights so we could see that, you know, she can hold her own. 
Um, she's not just a, a brilliant tactician, um, which we don't see too much of with her being, you know, a brilliant tactician. But we do, through the process of the book, see how she comes about her decisions and how she informs her decisions. And I feel like she plays things smart. Uh, and I think that that's basically because of what happened with Bala. Like the betrayal that happened with Bala kind of set her up that she doesn't trust anyone after that. And rightfully so. I mean, that one betrayal cost her her entire family and her entire way of life. She, the problem is that she signed up for the betrayal, like not to the degree that it happened. They weren't supposed to die, but she still signed up for it. Like I'm going to sign up with this, um, this drug runner essentially. And it's my favorite, favorite part of the book. It's like, you have drugs literally laying out in the field. Can I just go get them? And dad's like, no, (laughs) burn it all. But they're just laying there. I just, can I just literally just a shovel and scoop it up? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, um, the, uh, the, the, the way the, the, throughout the, the book, it bounces back and forth between her past and the present timeline, and in audio format, that can get really confusing. And so I found it interesting that Kevin decided to go with the naming, how Lorna kept changing her name. And really, he used that as an audio cue as the when we ch- shifted time periods. Which Right. And I wish they would have done something more on that, like, you know, past or present or you know something like that 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 indicated that shift because yeah if it wouldn't have been for those names there were a lot of times where i was about three or four minutes into the dialogue before i realized oh we oh we switched okay yeah that that's it kind of got muddied if you're not paying close attention like all of a sudden you're you're like because it wasn't even like a gradual shift it would be like literally one sentence to the next, you're in a different time period. There was no right. indication, maybe background noise sometimes. Right. Lorna, what was it like when you joined the Nile? And then all of a sudden we're back to that moment. <laughs> yeah. It it, uh, it was clever because you're trying to mix it in with the story, but sometimes obvious is a little better than clever. <laughs> right. I, I love the relationship that was going on with Tesha and D when D uh, takes on the name of Sal. Like, Who are you today, Sal? The, the way she was like coming at her, I, the way she said her words reminded me of uh, 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 the actress Pugue, um, the girl that played Black Widow's daughter, or not daughter, her sister in uh, the Black Widow show. Oh, I haven't seen that. The yet. way she talks. The way she talks totally reminded me of, of the way that uh, Tasha would talk when she would get all angry. She's like, what are you doing, Sal? And the way, like, as the story progressed, her character became more of a thorn to the point where she became an abscess that needed to be lanced. You're like, all right, it's time. <laughs> well, throughout the entire story, you're like, yeah, you're not going to make it to the end of this book. Because, yeah, you're just obnoxious and you keep poking at the wound. Like, you're like, <laughs> how far can I get away with this? Like, not very far. I could tell you that right now. <laughs> right, right. You're just like, oh, girl. And she, and she would, you know, like, I love the way that when she ends up reaching out to Pan, like, they even give you that moment. 
like they go back to it and it's it's she lucked out she just happened to get lucky she's sending out a message to anyone in the Nile and she gets of all the people the one person that wants to kill Lorna Teeth the most that just happens to be listening in at that moment like of course of course how perfect <laughs> yeah it was I liked I think I liked the flashbacks better than the 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 current storyline with her because I think I really hated her character so much that it was just it became grating <laughs> after a while that she's still putting up with this person. Like obviously she's not <laughs> Lorna D like she, or she's not supposed to be Lorna D. Um, and so she's trying to lay low and by letting this, uh, this person kind of control her, it helped to sell that, but it was just, she was just so obnoxious. It, it, that part went on way too long. Right. Right. So, like you said, how how it shifts from part to part, aside from when they say part one, part two kind of thing, it, it was it was hard to follow along when you were in one section to the other part wise in the story versus the flashbacks. Like the flashbacks were kind of easy to figure out what was going on and the parts they flat out tell you. But sitting here trying to tell you what happened in part four versus part seven. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. I, I couldn't. <laughs> the only reason I know part one ended with Pan um, being announced is because I was specifically paying attention to that. Besides that, I have no idea what happened in one part. Right. Like, like when she went from Cardia to joining the Nile, like that all happened so fast that the only thing I really remember from that was when she gets into uh, Kinnix's uh, group and wipes out all of the crew. Like, they're like, it's just one. You're like, whoa, what the hell is she doing? Like, she was vicious in that moment. Uh, and, and I kind of think like, you know, that was the whole purpose of her going and doing the Mandalorian gladiator, gladiator fighting and stuff was to show, you know, like we're going to give her fighting skills. You know, she's, this is her Jaina solo goes and trains under uh, Boba Fett moment. It's her, <laughs> it's her montage. We, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like in that regard, like, you know, she's not to be trifled with. We also see in a sense, you know, kind of like insight into the new gang uh for me i think that's the most important part of the story is it sets up you know where she's going to be from here you know i mean uh she's now got a tempest that's more loyal to her than ever before she's more in a position of power i mean hell even the the republic thinks she runs the nile um i keep trying to think at the end of the book did they ever figure out that she was alive or does the Republic still think she's dead? I so I couldn't quite realize that. Like, I, I felt like everyone that knew she was Lorna D died during the revolt. Yes, that's uh, at the end of this. Um, as far as I can remember, she is assumed to still be dead. Um, she has a brand new ship also called the Lorna D because. Um, you just want to punch her in the face. <laughs> and, like, Pan, who was going hunting her down, basically for the last, like, two parts of the book, constantly there, he is also supposedly dead, which is what I was hinting at before. And that that's kind of the crux of my issues with this book, is that from the beginning of the book, Lorna is alive, Pan is dead. The end of the book. Lorna is alive and Pan is dead. 
nothing mm-hmm. has changed throughout the 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 story of the the book. It's like he essentially wrote this story to be skippable because it's an audio book, uh, audio drama. It is so far outside of what typical novel readers may read that you don't want to put critical pieces of information in this story. Unlike um, what they did with some of the young adult novels, which did have critical pieces of information in them. This got kind of the, the short shrift where it's like, yeah, it's the background of Lorna D. If you don't want to listen to it, fine. It's, it's got nothing important in it. And that, that is my main problem with this is that there is no reason to really listen to it. It reminds me in a sense of Dark Empire, right? Like when you're reading the novels, there's reference to Luke going to the dark side. And you're like, where is that book? I can't find that book. You can't. Because it doesn't exist. The book doesn't take place. It's a comic book that you got to read. And it's like you were mentioning how the comic talks about her being dead. It's like that's kind of like your off-ramp line of like, well, to know how she's not dead, you have to watch Tempest Runner. It's the only way you're ever going to know. Like, So, I mean, like in that regard, I'm like, okay, like that kind of makes sense. Um, I, I get why you're pushing me this route. I, on the other hand, like I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought that it gave me... More details on Lorna D's character and more details as to why her Tempest is going to be a stronger Tempest than it was before. Because it was already described as a very loyal to Lorna Tempest going in. Um, but by the end of this book, that Tempest is pretty much wiped out. There, I mean, even Quinn, who was part of that Tempest, didn't even know exactly what Lorna D looked like. Um, it wasn't until later on in the book we're like, yeah, even Quinn knows that it's actually Lorna. Uh, but I love like how Quinn's character evolves. Like by the end of the book, she's like now a, a, a respected hacker. Um, she's been giving more of a position of power. Like I, I felt like Lorna's character was playing at what Pan and Kasav and everyone else were doing as Tempest Runners. But by the end of this book, she's in that same boat. She's ready to, to win or take solid. Whereas... Before that, I didn't know about the character enough to realize that she was kind of like more biding her time. But this book kind of it plays it out there. You know, she was doing what she needed to do to be part of the Nile. But by the end of this story, she's ready to take charge. You know, she's sick of other people choosing for her. And I mean, there's a moment multiple times where she says things like that, where she's saying it to uh, the counselor, you know, oh, you're all the same. And she gets all mad. Everybody wants to use her and what they can get from her. And by the end of the book, she's done with that. She's like, you know, I'm my own person and we're going to do things my way, which does play into that narcissistic angle. Like you were talking about, but I come away with a better understanding due to this story. So, I mean, unlike you, like I really think, if you're into getting more out of the, the bad guy's perspective, this is definitely a book that's going to help you with that. Um, so I, I enjoyed it for that specifically, I think, because the getting inside Lorna's head and kind of understanding her. Because like like I said, with Nam and Nora's character from the New Jedi Order, I really enjoy stories that give us a villain that kind of goes along with it, that isn't just a quick one and done or always getting kicked to the side. Whereas we watch her get defeats throughout the story but she always finds way to craft them into a win for herself no i 100 percent agree with you it's a it's a it's a like i said it's a fun story and it gives you a background on lorna d and if that's what you're looking for then that's great i personally i like stories that 
move the narrative forward. Like, mm-hmm. they, they gave us, like I said at the beginning, they gave us a set time period. This is three months after the last book. Why give us a set time period if it there's no there's no major event there's no there's not even a major event there's barely any events in it and it's more of a character driven story but that's not what it kind of was set up to be right you definitely wonder what more they have in store for her and for Marky and Roe um you know, in just this first phase, we've seen a lot of Tempest Runners. Well, I say a lot, but we've seen three different Tempest Runners kind of rise and fall and pat. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I think by the end of this, like we assumed, like even Marky on Row had assumed that um, a Lorna D was dead. And so all three of his main Tempest Runners were dead, and he had filled them back up with other really nameless tempest runners even if you look on uh wikipedia it still lists those three as the tempest runners even though they had gotten changed out um (laughs) and so i think the power dynamic is going to significantly change starting in the next book where we aren't going to have tempest runners anymore right and and markian roe is a character too that through the backstory of how she became the Tempest Runner, how she went from being one of Pan's storms to actually being put in charge of a Tempest, you know, they all seem to think like once Marquion Rose's dad's out of the way, we'll be able to do what we want with him. And when that moment comes, you know, we, we get another aspect of Roe, the son, like we did in the books, where it's like, no, he's playing his own game. But in that moment, when that happens, none of the Tempest Runners were expecting that. They're all like jaw on the floor, like, whoa, what the hell is this kid doing? Like, like, yeah, he is, he's doing his own coup d'etat right now and he is taking control. (laughs) Well, we also saw another aspect of this, I think in, um, the rising storm, rising tide. Yep. Um, the rising Rising storm, storm, um, where we saw, just after his father was almost killed, Markion was there and basically finished off his father. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, and that's why when we see it from the Tempest Runner's perspective, when they're like, wait, what is he doing? Like, like yeah, there there is more going on. So I'm looking forward to when we finally get to peel back the layers of Roe and find out what's going on. I still would desperately love to find out that he has some ties to the Sith or Bane Sith, especially. I think that, you know, the idea that the Sith could be using him and his organization to help destabilize the galaxy Seems like a no-brainer to me. Like it just, you know, it, it it's a great way to use characters that are there. Plus, also give a whole added depth to the evil that they're doing. You know, I mean, the way Palpatine used the Separatists for the same goals. I mean, in the end, the Separatists were basically the people that were going to be your rebels, and yet he was using them as his proxies from the beginning. Like it, it just, the Sith just do that. It seems like a no-brainer for me. So I'm hoping that. Whatever they do with Roe is on a level of that where you're like, okay, this guy is evil. Because like I said at the beginning of this episode, they just feel like a really you know, violent pirate gang. There's nothing too outlandish, nothing over the top that really sets them apart. 
and yet they're always described kind of like the Reavers from Serenity. Like, you know, they leave no survivors. Like, dude, they're leaving survivors a lot all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's uh, I think we'll basically answer your question on if he's connected with the Sith when the comic comes out. I think it's starting in January from what I can see. Um, the Eye of the Storm comic, which is interesting, looking at the, the cover of the first uh, issue, he's standing there holding a lightsaber, but we also know that he gets he plays around with the lightsaber that he got from uh, uh, Great Storm. Great Storm, yeah, yeah. And, and that was the other thing, too, is like, as the story's been going, the uh, leveler that he got in the Rising Storm and that they used, like, I when I read everything with that, I thought I understood it. And then the comic came out and they were talking about it and they're like talking about it being a creature. And I'm like, I don't remember it being a creature. Like now I'm like, I got to go back and reread it because I'm like, did they change how it was described? Because I thought it was an artifact at one point. And then they were talking about it being like some kind of a being. And I'm like. Okay, I missed a descriptive sentence somewhere, I guess. Well, even I don't know what the hell's going on yeah, with that. I don't remember if we talked about it or I talked about it elsewhere. Um, even in The Rising Storm, it was confusing on what the leveler was um, because it did seem like okay. an artifact, but it was also a beast at the end of the book when everything happened. Like a, um, I, I really equate it to the shadow... Um, the shadow monster in Lost is kind of what I was thinking okay. of it, is how it seemed to me. Okay, well, that would actually make a little more sense, are, though. Hmm. Or yeah. the cloud, the, the, I, I, the evil cloud. I don't remember what it was called in Lost, but is the yeah right. There's definitely some mystery there that they're they're keeping mysterious when it comes to Roe, because um, like I said, you know, his shift in the book was so left field for the Tempest Runners. They're like, huh, what's going on? <laughs> I loved Pan uh, in that moment in the past. Because, like, there were a couple times where when that all was happening with Lorna, when she gets promoted and stuff, like, Pan's character's like, what's going on? Because <laughs> he, he's, like, not expecting her to get promoted. They had a plan, and they're going to, you know, oust this one guy, and then she comes in and saves everybody, and then it gets her promoted, and they're like, God damn it girl we had a plan she's like well no one tells me about the plan <laughs> i do really love pan as a character because i think one of the reasons is that he thinks he's like the smartest in the room but he's really mm -hmm. one of the dumbest people there and that's like it gives an awesome <laughs> dynamic it's like all of a sudden it's like everything changed it's like what happened it's like it's because you're the dumbest person here <laughs> <laughs> right didn't see that coming in uh -uh. yet <laughs> no i think that that part was probably the most enjoyable for me look at go when lorna finally met up with the nile and kind of seeing how her her rise to power and she kind of like jumped a few steps it's like she just happened to be in the right place at the right time and they're like oh you will be my next tempest and everybody's like wait what like well it's because you, you you killed the guy who was supposed to be my next tempest it's uh i was doing helping what i i well okay i guess uh i guess this worked out to my advantage <laughs> right right 
a lot of what was going on on the prison ship, uh, you know, kind of went over my head the first two times I listened to the story. I must have listened to it six or seven times. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Each time I would listen to it, I put it back on and kind of go over it again. But when the prison stuff was going on, there was a lot of stuff with, uh, oh, what the heck was her name? The one that, that, that sounded like the uh, Golden Girl. Or the Hess. Uh, she had that very, oh, or yeah, she had such a, I don't know what kind of accent to, to say, Oklahoma? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like had like a, a Dixie twang to it, but not quite deep south. But she was like, Oh, darling, you got it. Like I just I kinda love that aspect of it. But there was uh another character, Seston, who was being kind of blackmailed with her children that by the end of the story, um, you know, everything's going down, the the, the prison ship is uh, being attacked by the Nile, there's a revolt going on in the middle of it. Uh, you know, when everything kind of comes to a conclusion and, and everybody goes their own ways, D sends Seston out in an escape pod and a story of, you know, everyone died kind of thing, so she could get her own kids back. So there was, to me, that was like the shred of light to D's character, because She's definitely someone that lives in that gray area. You know, they give you enough details to humanize her where you're like, okay, well, maybe she's not completely evil, but she does make evil choices a lot. So, I mean, she's not clearly a good character. So, like, you get this sliver to hold on to, like, well, I mean, you know, maybe she's not all bad kind of thing. Um, and you find out, like, you know, because... She was able to help the people on the prison ship kind of overthrow everything. The people that decided to stay on and, and kind of crew with her, who became her new Tempest, are more loyal to her than ever before. So I, like, I thought that was kind of a cool aspect. You know, I mean, when you came into this, you always knew she already had a Tempest that was kind of loyal to her. But like you said, by the time it ends, she also has the same thing. One could argue that it's more loyal, but yeah, it's still, she still got, say, loyal Tempest. So yeah, you, you might not need to read this story. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> well, I had forgotten. I, I thought it was Quinn who was the one who was sent back. Um, you're right. It was Seston who got sent back to basically relay. She was the reason that they still think Lorna's dead because it um, basically relay that everybody had died sort of thing. Although I don't think the word that it was Lorna ever got out in the entire uh, story that it um because everyone who knew is either on her team or loyal to her or dead. Um, I think the, uh, the, right. uh, the doctor, um, I think he died in the, the ship as well. Didn't he? Yeah. The counselor. Well, he, he had a disease. Oh, he that's was right. dying. Yeah. yeah. Cause like everybody was giving her a hard time. Cause he kind of, she seemed to be a little accident prone throughout the whole story. It didn't matter what age she was. She would push things or be a braggart about things, writing on a blurg and, and get hurt a lot. Um, so like there were, there were moments where that would happen throughout the story and she'd wind up in the med bay and counselor, I think it was Riddick or, or something like right. that. Uh, he would come in and, and, and they were all like, oh, you know, what's oh, going Wittick, on with yeah. you and him? Counselor Wittick and, and, and two different characters. I'm looking at the character list. Yeah. Yeah, so Wittick, Wittick's character kind of got this, you know, everybody's like, why are you so close to Riddick? Wittick, what are you go, what's going on with him? And, and then at the end of the book, you find out, you know, he's got this disease. He's been going to the med bay because he needs to have treatments. 
And so, like, you know, I mean, he knew who she was, but he was trying to show her that the Republic could rehabilitate even her. Uh, which that's a, he 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 wanted to do one good thing in his life essentially like to, to like make his mark right and you know you kind of get a sense that like he did impact on her but it didn't do it the way that he wanted he was kind of hoping that she would side with the republic but she just doubled down on the nile she was just like i'll take these good people and i will i will do them a solid and we're going to go back to doing what I know how to do, which is take what I want and do what I want. And I'm going to do it better than I've ever done it before. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, snap. <laughs> That's a definitely she she levels up by the end of this. <laughs> but she was already at the number two level before that. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of her attitude changed at the end of this. Right. I, I liked how she got her revenge on Bala. Um, I liked how, especially in the beginning battle when, uh, you know, she first loses her ship and everything, when, uh, we see Keeve Trennis and Skier and we kind of see Skier through the lens of the Nile that are fighting him and the way he's presented as this beast. Like I absolutely loved how they looked at him throughout that lens. It was like beautifully done. Like, and he wanted to eat us. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, they have no idea what he's really about. They just see this vicious-looking lizard with a lightsaber and they crap their pants. And one arm. <laughs> right? And then there's the whole, the, the way that that scene played out, like you think they're about to die. Because there was also two uh, pilots at the beginning. You know, they, like, seems like a one-off, little thrown-off little story. You know, they're like, hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I just got assigned to the Blackhawk squadron. Oh, me too. Small world. And as that story goes on, one of those two dies when D first dies, in quotes. Um, she gives her helmet, I think, to one of the droids, and the droid impersonates her, and the helmet explodes. Uh, and, and that's how one of the guys dies. So that guy becomes kind of bent on wanting to kill them and stuff. Like, it was... For a couple of characters that really had nothing to do with much in the story, they really gave them some importance in certain moments that I thought was kind of a cool way to tie it in. Kevin Scott didn't waste any characters. At least that's, I didn't feel like anyone was wasted in this. Can we talk about how she died? And at the beginning, you're right. She gave her helmet to a droid who then exploded. So they that's why they thought Lorna D died. And it wasn't just mm-hmm. everyday schmuck. The Jedi were convinced that she had died because a droid blew up. They couldn't tell mm-hmm. the difference between a droid and a living human being, or not human, a I living guess Twilight. Not. Like it was H seven O nine was the droid, and I'm uh, looking to see if we get a picture. Probably not. Well, he the droid definitely had the helmet. Nope. Of Lorna D, and I don't think they ever got the helmet. Did they get the helmet off, or because I know it exploded real quick? No, yeah, it was. Yeah, there was nothing left. <laughs> it's like it's just one of those like that. That was problematic for me because it seemed counterintuitive that the Jedi would not realize that a, it was a droid. Right. <laughs> right. Nobody felt that in the force. <laughs> yeah, that 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 walking tin can. Oh, that must be Lorna. <laughs> it has the same helmet on. Mm. Really? <laughs> right. Because helmets can't be right. taken off. What? 
not so uh not so wise. I mean, that, that's definitely one of the things like the Jedi are dropping the ball in ways, but we really haven't like, like when the Jedi are dropping the ball in this era, it's just natural messing up. Whereas like in the prequel trilogy, when the Jedi are messing up, it's all by evil design. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're assuming it's all just not designed right now. I mean, we're still in phase one. I mean, you know, we have two more phases. Like you said, there's still another wave of this phase to go. And we've seen four now Tempest runners all die and get replaced. I think only the three main ones have died. I think the one who replaced Kassov was still there. Um, that was Zeta, right? It was the 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 small alien who wore the bodysuit, I believe. I don't remember his name. Yeah, Zedar, I believe that's that one. Zedar, yeah, and I believe he was still there. And I I, I don't know who replaced Pan. Yeah, I did. I did like the character that was playing the uh, Gungan. Like the whoever was voicing the Gungan did a really fun job. I I got a kick out of that character. <laughs> I think Gungans in general. Um, are they? They always play up um, the the fact that they're not Jar Jar in these stories. It's like, <laughs> what do you take me for, some backwoods hick? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> true. The Great Leveler, yeah. Even that was mentioned indirectly in the story. So, like, yeah, I, I, I keep wondering about the overall story you know the the high republic as an era and where we're going um you know like could, could we see this story ending with lorna d 100 percent in control of the nile with marky on row out of the way if they were to do something like that would this book put her in a light that you could see her taking on the role of the eye of the storm and and pursuing the end of this conflict. Um, I don't, I don't know if she's that leader, honestly. Yeah. I think with the release, like it, the release of the Markeon comic series has me questioning, like, is that indicating that Markeon's going to die or is it just giving you a backstory of his, like kind of like the Chewbacca comic series and legends where they're like, Chewie's dead. Now we can release a memorial comic about him. Um, I'm wondering if like, is that the same thing here or is it, um, just, we are giving you the backstory kind of like the Tempest Runner audio drama here. We're, we just happen to give you the backstory now as opposed to earlier. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. There's just, there's so much they could do with this. Um, and the fact that where we end it, you know, she's she's come back forward with, you know, she's a Tempest runner still. She's got another ship now. She's taken the, uh, was it the Redemption, I believe was the name of the prison ship, and she's turned it into her new Lorna D. Don't you forget it. Um, still want to punch like, you I, the, I, the galaxy's got to know, <laughs> right? I mean, the galaxy's got to know she ain't dead. Like I, I It's going to find out real I mean, quick. <laughs> right. Like, like she's once again as... as Faked her death and looks good, but immediately goes right back out there and lets the world know what a narcissist she is. I'm right here! <laughs> I still have power! <laughs> Not the brightest, Lorna. Not the brightest. No, no. She clearly doesn't want to remain dead. 
So I think mm. we're going to, she's going to be alive and kicking, um, or at least found out, find out that she's alive and kicking at the beginning of the next book, uh, which is uh, the Fallen Star. Is that the, the next one? The Claudia Gray book that coming out in January? Yeah, and and it's nuts to think like that's the only other major event we know that's coming right um the cover of that seems to give away that starlight beacon may not make it through the book but starlight beacon is in the afra series well and i was i was wondering about that because i was i was looking is the beacon in there or is a reference to the beacon in there because i know that the star wars series made a reference to the beacon and i had thought at the time that they'd actually went to the beacon so you're right. I don't remember if they did or not. Right. So I'm trying to think like with Afro, like they, they may have went to the beacon and we found out maybe the beacon was uh, crashed on a planet. Like maybe, you know, it's like the Chunthor was in uh, the uh, courtship of princess Leia where Luke goes there and the ships crashed on the planet kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so like people are like, Oh, the book cover spoiling it. And, but yeah, I was kind of in that same position of like, well, didn't we know like it didn't make it? Or was it just ruins? Like I, I, I'm not as up to date on my comics to recall that correctly. <laughs> All right, now thinking back on it, you're right. I don't remember if they ever actually went there and looking online. Um, it says that they used the station as an inspiration, right? But I don't think they ever actually went there, right? Yeah, and that's that's the one that I was catching was like they used it as the inspiration for Operation Starlight or something like that, and I'm like, hmm. Okay, so they didn't necessarily go to it, maybe because it wasn't there. And then you've got uh, the the Halcyon Star Cruiser for the park that they're tying in with the comics and stuff. So we're gonna find out that now there will be a ship that's been running and still running, you know, for two hundred plus years, however long the ship is. I don't know in the comic if the ship was created during this time frame or if it's already been around for a hundred years. But we do know that come uh, Ray's time frame, the ship is still out there and cruising around. It hasn't been taken out by pirates or anything. So, Yeah, that's uh, the reason to go to Disney World right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To find out what happened. Why? Where, where is Buriaga? Are you going to find his, uh, his skinned pelt <laughs> in, in one of the back rooms of... Uh... Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> That would be great, though, if they had a Nile room in the back. <laughs> and the Buryaga is just the, 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 the throw rug. <laughs> Dude, that would be so cool on so many levels. <laughs> Probably traumatize a child or all of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, it would be, it'd be like uh, the episodes of The Clone Wars where you're on Camino and, like, as the bombs are going off, you're just watching all these cloning towers crumble. You're like, they're just one hundred and fifty little embryos of babies. <laughs> and then yeah. The kids are just watching and have no clue. You're like, you just watch a thousand kids just die. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the cover real quick before we uh, wrap up. Uh, the cover artist is uh, Katarina Bal- Balkova. Uh, and on the cover, I would assume that what we're seeing here in the background behind Lorna D herself is her first ship. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that is the new uh, 
uh, version of the Republic's prison ship, that the prison ship would look as dilapidated as any other Nile ship. Uh, that definitely feels like it's the first Lorna D. Uh, we see her helmet and stuff. We see her kind of like in a cool pose. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, maybe no spaces behind her. Just a nebula. Not sure. Nothing too spectacular. I don't think there's any alternate covers yet. I'm sure we probably will get one in uh, March of next year when we get the hardcover release. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it serves its purpose. Yeah, basically, it serves its purpose. Shows Lorna D front and center with her her helmet. We never actually get to see her face yet. Um, kind of like that's why nobody knew it was Lorna D on the the prison ship is because nobody's ever really seen her without her helmet on, uh, except for the the select few. Right, and I think that's also why Quinn was an important character because you know she was like rank and file of her Tempest, and yet she didn't even know who Lorna was. By the end of the book, she definitely knows it was Lorna, but not there at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I like the cover. It's uh, dramatic. It uh, tells you what you need to know, that it's about Lorna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, when it comes to this, uh, how would I rate it? I know, Jim, you're going to probably give it a, a, a higher rating. I mean, you've got, you've got your thing. So... Mine's a little high because I really enjoyed this. Um, I, I felt like for Lorna's character, it really served good. I'm going to give it a good strong seven and a half. I would almost go eight, but I'm going to go seven and a half on this one. So, like I said, it is it's a fun, uh, it's a fun story. It's enjoyable to listen to. The voice actors are phenomenal, um, minus a few hiccups trying to like figure out what's going on when it's like really an enjoyable story it just it is not as pivotal as i would like to see especially in a story where you're given the time period why was i given the time period when it really didn't matter um although i'm not gonna really complain when you actually give me a time period because i'd rather have a time period and it not matter than have it matter and not have a time period i was just thinking of like that really is small potatoes on our list of complaints huh (laughs) Yeah. And so I actually I did I gave it a seven and a half um, because it is a fun read or a fun listen. And I, I enjoyed it. I just uh, I wish it would have been more of an important uh, listen. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I'm hoping, like, like I said, with Marky and Rose character, we get something along this line. Um, I like the fact that with such a big ensemble cast in the High Republic, that they're going to give us stories that kind of narrow the focus down. Um, I mean, e- even at the beginning of this episode, when we were talking pre-show, the character list for this is still huge, even though it's, it's sl- you know, the focus is on such a smaller group of individuals. We still have a crap ton of characters. Uh, and I think that that's the biggest problem for a lot of people with this area is there's just a crap ton of characters. A lot of people aren't feeling connected to any of them. So having stories that, that focus on a smaller group, I think is going to be one of the things you're going to have to do to get the readers to invest in your overall story. Um, you know, we're, we're still in phase one and the next book in phase one looks to be the crashing of starlight beacon. And we still have two more phases. It's like, what do you have planned for us? Like this is this first phase feels like the entire series. Like it's, it's got a, a you know a, a progression here that definitely feels like we're almost done with the series. What could you possibly have in store for us next? <laughs> yeah, each phase seems to be if they're going to do three waves per phase, you're looking at about a year and a half because this will this phase will probably end 
with the release of a book in June, July-ish, um, which will be the first book of the second phase, I would assume. I mean, it's almost almost like if you took the New Jedi Order and went all the way to Crucible, right, and broke that that all those stories into phases. <laughs> You might have the same thing because, like, once you got to Legacy of the Force, Fate of the Jedi, you know, they were all nine book series. You had New Jedi Order, which was 19 books, like, they were a lot bigger, so they definitely had that feel of the waves kind of thing going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited still that even though things haven't progressed the way I thought they might have from the teasers about what this era was going to be when it was Project uh, Lumination or whatever it was. Um, Luminous. Luminous, yes. You know, when they were giving us those teasers, I feel like, you know, I'm still invested. I want to know where we're going to go from here. I'm wanting to know more about the characters. I want to see, you know, the the struggles that these characters are going to go through. Even though I've had some complaints, like with the Drengers characters being kind of used up really quick, like that could have been a threat that they could have drug out for at least a year's time frame in their story arc. Uh, I felt like that was like a quick wham, bam. We're just we're gonna do the old uh, Star Trek Borg kind of thing. Like we just take out the Queen and everybody's okay. Like that, that happened fast. Like, but I'm still invested. I still want to know more. I still want to know where we're gonna go. So. Yeah, I I think that uh, even if you're not getting the most out of this era, I think there's still a lot of potential here. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I like the way that they're doing it, making um, making each of the different media's important because, like you said, the Drenger are essentially down and out. They may come back, <clears throat> but the you'd only find that out if you read the comics, mm-hmm. and so it's it's one a detriment by making you read these other medias but it's also fun for those of us who do read the other medias and trying to get the entire story and everything so i've been enjoying it i'm still enjoying it i can't wait for the next one especially since it's by claudia gray who um by far is one of the best uh star wars writers out there right i i would definitely agree with that assessment i would throw in there that you know kevin scott is is definitely putting his name in the hat um so far, every story that I've read of his, I have really enjoyed. So I'm I'm looking for. We will follow his career with great interest. He, I love how he puts random background characters who, like nobody talks about, or like the, those ones like Jackson, mm-hmm. um, who is like one of those like yeah we don't really talk about him characters, and he like brings them in. He's like, no, nope, we're we're embracing this character. This character's coming back. <laughs> nice, Green Rabbit. We're bringing him back. I love Jackson. <laughs> I I finally got that figure. He's creepy. It is a creepy figure. I don't like the figure. I, I have it too. It's a. Uh, <laughs> um, they tried to make the cartoon rabbit into a lifelike, uh, evil, um, like monster movie rabbit. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> right. but um, I uh, the only thing I want is more Yariel Poof. Like, give me a Yariel Poof <laughs> audio drama, and I'll be I'll be good. <laughs> uh, you know, I I would be down with a Yariel Poof, Apparantis, uh, and a Yoda book where they kind of uh, discover Yaddle, maybe since she hasn't been mentioned yet, or you know, they go on like some kind of meditation quest and have some fun adventure. <laughs> 
There we go. I it practically writes itself. Right? Right? That's that's the thing. That's the thing. You just get the good idea and the rest just takes care of itself. Now that about wraps up this episode of Stars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, as well as Spotify and on iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsreport, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what it's all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe, the Harry Potter universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. They don't even care if you don't like the look of the font. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. Jim and Porgy, my reliable pork tea filled pork mug. Not pork filled. <laughs> that sounds chunky. <laughs> Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. Don't quote us the odds that Lorna D is going to lose this ship and get another ship call it the Lorna D and also she calls all her pets the Lorna D and like she has children who are also Lorna D Quinn's going to die and be called Lorna D <laughs> what are the like Lorna D come here like George Foreman <laughs> right right what are the odds that Pete is going to contact you about your porn cup <laughs> with chunks of porn <laughs> Slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> My audacity get that recorded before I forget, because I have a feeling it's one of those days I probably forget. <laughs> Testing, testing. Can everybody hear me now? I'm a little teapot. Sure. Okay. <laughs> we got Skype recording. Jim's audacity's going. My audacity's going. Can you hear background music? No, no. When you switched it, it, it got really intimate. Okay, okay, good. Because my wife's uh, working out. Um, and has her music blaring, and with my missing walls, it, I can't filter out her music very well, but my mic uh, does not pick up much background sound. Yeah, it sounds pretty good.
That sounds sexy. Alright. Well, I, I, I love that uh, Wikipedia had a character list. I was like, oh my god, look at all these characters. Like, I could have used this when I was listening to this thing. <laughs> one of those like you blink and you forget about it <laughs> right yeah I'm, I'm actually kind of excited they're doing the hardcover like when i kind of read it as they're reading it to me i've tried doing that with the audiobooks and mm. it is difficult because they read at a different pace than i do it's so uh. much slower and you're like <laughs> it's like come on and i did I, I i tried it once and i'm like yeah no, can't do that again. <laughs> I, I realized the, uh, it was probably a month or two ago now that I definitely pick up names a lot better if I read their names spelled out versus oh, yeah. just, you know, oh, yeah, it's Mike. <laughs> like, I read it on a name tag, and for some reason I read it once, and, like, I remember, hey, it's Mike. Oh, I remember you. <laughs> yeah. Great with faces, horrible with names. But now I know that. I'm like, oh, well, that's a tool in my arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never been terribly good with names. Yeah. Oh. And then uh, I'll go over it in our beginning here. Um, I noticed that they started calling him Nihil again. Yeah, oh and God. it's Martian. Yeah, I'm like... Can't we just uh, get on board with it? I mean, I guess for me, this actually frees my uh, tongue a little better to f*** the name. <laughs> yeah. I think it's always uh, been Nihil. Was it? Yeah, it's always been Nihil. Oh. But it was Markion. It's still like Markion is their general go-to pronunciation, but all of a sudden in this book, it's Martian. Right? Yeah. And that was... Uh, was it Mark Thomas was voicing him? Yes, yes. And, and Pam, um, which is why it got spoiled that it was Pam. Right. We should go over that when we get to that point. All right. Okay, so I think I'm ready if you're ready. I'm just reading started. over my review of it. Uh, like, a script of the audio drama will be published on March 20th. <laughs> yeah, oh we, we knew that would happen. Yeah. With the last two. Yeah, Dooku and Afra. Yeah. And it's funny, as those are the only Star Wars books I ever see in, like, Walmart. Like, that's a Ugh. random book to, like, show up at Walmart. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've been cleaning my office and studio all weekend, but my desk is like the casualty of war. <laughs> so my sister came to the concert with me, and she stayed in my office, and so I, I scrubbed it down. It's actually the cleanest it's been since uh, we started construction. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it felt good to get everything clean. But yeah, now I'm sitting here. I'm like, I got like one spot where I could put my hand on the desk and everything else is just full of clutter. I'm like, God, it's never ending. 